Welcome to the Simply Resilient podcast, episode number 106, an interview with Marika Humphreys. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach, a 15-year military wife, and a mother of six. I love working with flowers, playing games, and going to the movies, and I'm a huge fan of my husband and kids sleeping in and everything about food. I have created this podcast as a free resource for military wives who want to improve the experience that they are having while their service member is deployed. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. You guys, I'm so excited for my podcast episode today. I have recently interviewed my good friend, Marika, who is also a life coach at the Life Coach School, certified at the Life Coach School, same as me, and also has some very cool um, military background that I uh, was just so excited to get her on my podcast. I'm going to go ahead and read her bio to you right now to introduce Uh, who she is and what she does, and then we'll get right into the interview. Resiliency coach and recovering perfectionist Marika Humphreys coaches people who have a partner with cancer. Five years as her husband's caregiver and primary emotional support as he battled cancer, Marika knows how challenging and exhausting it can be. She teaches her clients how to calm their mental and emotional turmoil and use this time as an opportunity to grow and become stronger than they thought possible. With her characteristic, compassionate, yet no-nonsense approach, Marika believes this time can either deplete you or make you stronger. She helps you do the latter. Working either one-on-one with clients through group leverage training or in her self-paced course, she helps people build their inner strength and learn to ride the emotional roller coaster of having a partner with cancer. I can't wait for you guys to meet Marika and get to know her in this interview. As we've gotten to know each other, we've been so pleasantly like surprised at how parallel our journeys are and parallel uh, the way our coaching and our clients' journeys are. You wouldn't necessarily think caregiving and deployments could be a parallel journey, but I, we really have discovered that they are. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get into the interview. Hello, Marika. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Hello. I'm happy <laughs> to be here. Well, I'm so thrilled that you can be here. I just introduced you to my listeners with the bio that you provided, which was so awesome. I want to have you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more. Uh, I want for my listeners to know a little bit more of like your military background and, and some things like that, if you wouldn't mind starting with that. Yeah. So I was, I like to say a a little bit of a non-traditional military experience. I actually went to college, had a job, and then I call it my kind of early midlife crisis. So in my (laughs) late twenties, I decided I had always been interested in the military. It's kind of just, that had been an interest of mine for a long time. So in my late twenties, I actually joined the army Mm. and I had a college degree, but I really wanted to go into the field of intelligence and I could pick that if I enlisted. Whereas if I went the officer route, I couldn't, didn't have control over where I ended up. Interesting. Um, So (laughs) I, um, I enlisted in the army and I became a linguist, um, a Korean linguist. And I, and at that time, um, right after I enlisted, actually my, you know, was dating a person at the time we got married. Um, and he was the military spouse. Um, we were pretty non-traditional in that sense, in that I was the military member and he was not affiliated with the military at all. Mm. And I did go to Korea for two years as part of, you know, my enlistment, he did join me over there, but there were definitely periods during boot camp where I was away. 
we didn't have kids at that time. We, we had kids later after I got out of the military, but yeah. So I was in the army for five years. And then I later, after I got out of the army, I ended up working for the air force as a civilian, a government civilian for about 10 to 12 years. And that was, you know, my kind of second military experience, although from a different perspective, you know, as a civilian. So you've been affiliated with the military for a long time. I have, I really have. Yeah. Well, okay. So now tell me a little bit about your transition from working for the air force. Did you transition straight from that to becoming a life coach? And then we'll get, you know, we'll kind of get into your niche and some of the topics there that we want to touch on today. Yeah. So after I got out of the army, I, um, ended up, I worked for the air force. Um, like I said, for about 10 years, um, at a base in California and we, that's when we raised, we were raising our child and it was about my husband out of the blue. I remember very specifically, cause I had gone on a work trip to the East coast. We were living in California and I'd gone on a work trip to the East coast. And when I got back, it was the summer, it was hot and I remember us driving back from, he picked me up from the airport and we were driving back and he said, you know, Marika, there's something I need to tell you. And my first thought was he's having an affair. <laughs> like I, but we go it, worst case scenario. Yes. It's so funny because I think about that. And I remember like, there was no, you know, we had a good marriage. There was no reason for me to jump to that conclusion. It was totally out of the blue, but it was kind of the way he said it. It's mm-hmm. like, if your parents say we need something to tell you, you're thinking I'm adopted, you know, like yes. it's just, you jump to the, I guess that was kind of like the worst case scenario in my mind. Right. And what he told me was they found a cancerous tumor in my arm mm-hmm. and I was not ready for that. <laughs> I was like, That's a I was kind just, of worst case scenario. Oh yeah. It wasn't even in our orbit. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have any family members with cancer. Like this was so out of the blue. Um, and that is not unusual at all. I know now, but at the time it was just, I remember just sitting there in shock, you know, and we, and then the next basically couple of weeks as we went to the oncologist, I, I was really struggling with shock and adjusting to this news and what it meant. And, you know, cancer is such a scary word. Yeah. It's, you're just confronted with this new reality and it's so overwhelming and, and you don't, especially when, you know, in this case, I had no experience. We didn't even have an experience with family members. So it was all very foreign and scary. That was, uh, you asked me really about, you know, how I became a life coach. I mean, this is, that was really the start of the journey. We got through this first year. It was super intense. He had chemo. He had a huge surgery. He basically, they replaced his arm bone. It's pretty amazing what they can do, but um, there was a lot of emotional trauma. The chemo was super intense, which just, just rocked him. Um, he had terrible nausea. He felt like awful. Mm. Um, so that was a rough, rough year. And basically we got through it though, as far as they could tell, they, you know, got all of the cancer, you know, removed as far as they can tell. So after that, we, you know, kind of went back to, I would say regular life, Mm -hmm. rough, roughly regular life. There was always a shadow. I, I would say over our life after that experience, but about two years later, he was feeling weird and long story short is he, he ended up, we found out that he had a brain tumor, like a big tumor in his brain, which was very scary. And 
that was kind of, I call it almost like phase two, because it was the start of, it was a different type of cancer, actually totally different from what he had in his arm. He was medevac to a hospital in San Francisco. And we met with the brain neurosurgeon, which there's not very many of those. (laughs) They're like unicorns, you know, and so he, they successfully removed it. That's also amazing what they can do. But while he was in the hospital at that time, they found that the cancer from before his, that what was in his arm had spread Mm -hmm. to his chest. So that was a point at which I knew emotionally that very much kind of like your experience, right? You had been through a deployment and it was awful and you knew, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I think I felt the exact same way at that point. I had been through this initial, you know, his initial diagnosis and all the things that went with it. And I thought, I don't want to do that again. Something has to be different. And I just remember, it was one point I remember sitting in the hospital room, not the hospital room. I had like walked down the hallway and found this dark hallway and just sobbed because I knew what we were in for. I knew that this was just, it was just going to be consume our lives for the next who knows how long, you know, and the, all the uncertainty and the appointments and the, you know, just awfulness that, that Dave had to, you know, withstand. Um, I I knew what I was in for, which made it worse because I'd been through it before. So it wasn't for a couple more months. It was kind of basically when he was recovering that we were heading to an appointment down in San Francisco, which was a couple hour drive for us. And he found a podcast (laughs) that we had gotten in this huge fight because I didn't, and I didn't sleep well all night because we'd gotten in this huge fight. So I was trying to sleep in the car. He was driving and he found this podcast. And by the end of the two hour drive, he was like, oh my gosh, Marika, you need to listen to this. It had completely changed his mood in the space of two hours. And that was really the start of what became the next chapter of my life. I didn't really know it at the time, but that was our introduction to the time, the life coach school and the life coach school podcast. I know for you, it was Jody Moore's podcast, but we, yes, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And we basically both of us, and he, he was always, this is something we shared. We were always into how can we improve our lives? That was an interest we both had. shared. So we started listening to the podcast avidly. We eventually became coaching clients of Brooke Castillo and the life coach school. Uh, Again, just like you are, our journey is very, very parallel there where we, we started getting coaching ourselves and then not, you know, probably maybe, I don't know, not even a year after listening, I thought this is what I want to do. This is, I want to do this, you know? And my husband did too. So our original plan was to coach as a couple, um, have a business where we coached people who were going through cancer and Mm -hmm. he would coach the person with the, you know, the diagnosis and I would coach their, their spouse. And we went to training together. We were one of the few couples. Um, one of the first, I think couples at the time to go to training together, um, And that it was his, his health really kind of took a dramatic turn to the worse in that, right. Basically several months after training, um, we were in our practicum and, you know, the Mm -hmm. the certification process, he had to withdraw from the program and I continued, but long story short is he, 
he passed away at the end. That was 2018. Actually, he passed away at the end of 2018. And I had just like the month before just gotten certified at the life coach school. Mm -hmm. So for me, the next year was a huge adjustment in my life and becoming a widow, becoming a single parent. Mm -hmm. He had always been ever since, you know, my military days, like he had kind of always been more the, the parent at home, the one who did all the cooking. Um, he did the most of the cleaning, did the childcare, you know, when our child was young, like that was all the things that he did. And now I'm a single parent, you know, so that first year was challenging and I stayed at my job, but about a year after that first year, I, I kind of found myself at the end of the year, really dealing with a lot of anger. It was very nondescript anger. It was just sort of angry at the world, which was not something that I, I, I felt very like, why am I so angry? And I don't want to be angry. This is not who I am. I, I really struggled with it because it felt very like, this is not you know, I had had anxiety before I had, you know, fear, but anger was not um, an emotion I I had experienced commonly. And yet I just had a lot of it a lot. And that was when I, I knew at that time I need help <laughs> to really get past this. So I reached out to one of a, another life coach school, um, coach who coached widows, Krista St. Germain, oh, she's more familiar. Yes. <laughs> and her program. And it was during that program where I really felt like I got myself back. I kind of reconnected with who I was and what I wanted. And during that time is when I realized, you know, if I'm going to be a coach, now's the time, because as I've seen life is short and my husband was 51 when he passed away and I was, I'm, he was older than me. So I was 45, I guess at the time. So that was when I, um, made the transition, you know, basically about, uh, I, I kind of planned it, you know, I had six months, I gave my, my work six months notice. And I said, I'm going to leave. And everybody thought I was absolutely crazy. Cause I had this Ooh. government job, very secure. I'd been there for a long time, but I, I had been feeling burned out for a while yeah. actually. So that was nothing that that was, but I just, I didn't know where I wanted to go next. And as you know, the the transformation you can experience when you learn some, just some basic tools. I mean, oh, yeah. it really started with listening to a free podcast. I mean, I feel like that was life-saving for me. And the more I learned, the more I thought, oh my gosh, there's just so much power in this. And at a time when I felt very powerless exactly. in my life. Yes. And yes. Yeah, so I committed and I, basically left my job and became a coach full-time. So that's been now just over two years ago, a little over two years ago, I've been coaching. And I, one of the, I mean, I, the clients I work with, they're just, they are just a, an inspiration yeah. because I think it's also takes a lot of courage to, you know, choose the path that is growth. Um, but, and it's hard but it's also hard when you don't do it <laughs> and yeah. you're, you're kind of, you can be kind of miserable either way. I wouldn't say it's miserable. I say growth is hard, but when you, when you want to grow and you don't, that's when you can be miserable mm -hmm. and that's not a fun place to be. And I think I was there and I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, again, yeah. like your, yours and my story have very, a lot of parallels there yeah. because I, I felt like I didn't, I didn't know what else there was. Yeah. 
I think growth can be so uncomfortable, but the, the not growing is a false sense of comfort. Yes. If you choose to kind of abandon ships, the way I envision it sometimes when you're like, well, I guess nothing's in my control and you just sort of are at the whim of your challenging circumstances. There's a false sense of comfort there that really that is so miserable. And when you choose growth, that's very hard and very uncomfortable and like in your face uncomfortable, but the true relief and the true and the last, you know, all the, the work that you do is so sustaining that you just have to be willing to kind of work through some of that discomfort to get to the true relief and and sustaining change to that. I see that also with a lot of my clients, Mm -hmm. especially when they lose their spouse. And this is where I was too. You kind of reinvent, it's like a period of time where you're reinventing yourself. It's almost like you're rediscovering who you are. And I would think that's probably very similar to deployment. Absolutely. And the difference being like one maybe is a permanent state, right? But, right. And but that it's is a big still the same process. You mm-hmm. still have to go through the same process. Like, okay, they're gone. It's just me and me and the kids. Who am I? What do I want to do? How do I want to do things? You know, it's still the same kind of process you have to go through of, of figuring out how things work now, you know? What's so interesting about that solo parenting parallel that we have here, the temporariness versus the permanence, which is very, very different in our two, our two worlds is for, for me, I could comfort myself knowing mine was temporary, but I also used it against myself to say like, I shouldn't be struggling so much. Like at least my husband's not dead. (laughs) I shouldn't be struggling so much. He's coming home. Like this is temporary. This shouldn't be so hard. But at the same time, like, I feel like there's no other well, very few life situations that cause you to be apart from your spouse for a year or for six months or whatever, like lots of spouses travel and that can be hard, but typically you're seeing each other, you know, throughout. And it's this very crazy experience where you all, you do almost feel like you've lost them because of the length of time. Your brain cannot quite work with it that you almost have to be there. Like I'm, I would never call myself a single parent. I would call, I would call it solo parenting because that would help me remind me of the kind of the temporariness. So that's the term that I like to use for, for when I was doing it, but it was just interesting how sometimes it was a comfort to me. And sometimes I would use it against myself. (laughs) Well, you know, that's crazy because I think we, we diminish our own struggle and we can look to whatever it is to do that. And in your case, you were thinking like, it's just temporary. At least he's not right. Yeah. At least he's not dead. At least he's not this or that. You could think of all these worst scenarios, but it, mm-hmm. that diminishes what you're, you were experiencing. And I did the same as well. After my husband passed, I felt like I had, you know, I didn't get married till I was 29 when I also mm-hmm. joined the military. So it was a little late start. <laughs> and I thought I had been single for like a decade, you know, and I just thought I shouldn't, this shouldn't be hard to do this again. And it was very hard, but I diminished that struggle because I thought I should just be able to handle this. You I know, know like how to I, be single. Yeah. It wasn't like I just got married right out of high school and didn't even never lived on my own. Yeah. So I use that against me, right. Yeah. That, that I had had this experience. So this shouldn't be hard. Well, yes. I so appreciate you sharing that part of your story with me. I have a couple of follow-up questions couple of cool parallels that I hadn't even thought of. I feel like we thought of so many awesome parallels, but one that you mentioned was when your husband was first diagnosed. What was his name, by the way? I don't think I've David, Dave, David. I called him Dave. Yeah. Dave. Okay. I like to know. I like to know names. When Dave was first diagnosed, um, you know, like no one in your family, 
you, you didn't have cancer as anything to draw from besides movies or whatever. Right. And that happens. I mean, that happens so often to military wives and families too, because I mean, that's how it was for us. When my husband came home and he's like, I think I'm joining the military. And I was like, what? We, we have no military, anything. Like there's some families that are like, oh, my dad did it. My grandpa did it. My brothers do it. I do it. Like, and that's its own thing, right? That's, I'm not saying that's harder or easier, but it, that, that can be kind of that parallel experience where you, you may not have any experience to draw from. And it's a brand new, a brand new thing that can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah. And, and yeah, there are a lot of families that do have legacy of military. So I think the thing is, you know what to expect, you know, there's a lot that goes with that life that then it's be familiar. And when it's Mm -hmm. brand new, yeah, it is not at all familiar that, and all the things that go with it. I mean, it is a life, right? It is definitely a, a very, um, it's this, you, you know, has a lot of unique aspects to it. And that, that's a, that definitely experience going through the cancer experience initially is yeah. Full of just all these new, new things dealing with the medical system, oh, you know, wow. we all deal with it to degrees. Um, and some people more than others, but that was like a whole, it's like a whole, you know, you could get a degree in process dealing with <laughs> once insurance. You, once and you've all been through it. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even as simple as just learning all the new terminology, like we have that joke in the military of like, you got to learn this whole new language, you know? So that's the same thing there with like the medical field and, and even just cancer in general, all the terms within that, just that umbrella there. Yes. But, but then I, another thing that really stood out to me that you said was that heading into it for the second time, which you kind of think of it in phase one and phase two, which has another cool similarity of like this deployment and then like another deployment, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. I don't know why I want our lives to just be the same, Rika. <laughs> anyway, um, heading there's, there's a few things in life that like are made more scary by already having experienced it where so many things when you've experienced it, you're like, okay, so now I know I can do it. And you almost head into it with more confidence. But I have found that there are a few things in life that having experienced it, you almost head into it with more dread. And I I really picked up on that as you explaining that of like, it cannot go that way again. That was too terrible. And I think we experienced, you experienced that. I think we experienced that in the military heading into deployments. And another area of life I've experienced that in is surgeries where um, I know how terrible it is to like recover from. So I've had several surgeries just over my life. And each one, I think I am more anxious, more stressed, more just because I know what I'm headed into. It's terrible. (laughs) Like there's just a few things like that. I don't know. Yeah. That's I, you know, I never really thought about it. The fact that most things, when you've been through it before, it's easier the second time around, you use your experience to be like, like 90% of the stuff is that way, except for a few big things, a few of the really hard ones. Yeah. The really hard ones, because you know what you're in for, you Mm. know, how hard that journey is and the knowing creates additional (laughs) knowing that like the struggle ahead creates additional stress and anxiety because you can then anticipate, you know, you don't have the bliss of ignorance of not knowing what's coming. Yes. You didn't even know that you were experiencing that ignorance is bliss before. And now you're like, there's no more ignorance. Yeah. What's so cool about what you and I both did and so many people do, and then we're trying to help our clients do is heading into it again or whatever. There's an unwillingness for your life to get that bad and that out of your control again. And that, you know, just go back to that place and we get a little desperate for solutions. Yes. And that's when you, when you find something in that place of either, you know, desperation or just wherever you're at discouragement, 
And it's like a light. It's like a lifeboat. It's like, yes. oh my goodness, I really could. I really could experience this differently. Like I can't change my circumstances. There's no, nothing around that, but I could experience it differently. I could feel differently. I could feel, I can do something to have my life feel like it's more in my control than yes. this last time I experienced it, where it felt like nothing was in my control. And I think we had the very similar experience there. And that is the best feeling. I have yes. to say that most of the clients I work with, not all, but most come to me not at the beginning of this journey for them. Yeah. Most of them have been in it for a couple years and usually there is a turn, like, you know, often for the worst, um, often like a, either a terminal diagnosis or just a turn, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they know what's ahead because they've been through it already. And they're like this, there's the fatigue of, of just the time factor, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't happen again in all cases, but cancer can go on for a long time. And, and some people, you know, I have one client whose, um, husband will like, he can live with the cancer. It's responding well to treatment for many, many years, wow. but it's still hard, you know, it's yeah, still yeah. hard. So and it's on and on, of, like, it's the on and onness, like, yeah, it's the on and onness. And there's a lot of different outcomes. I mean, that's the, the wonderful thing. There's a lot of different outcomes, but the emotional impact for the, for the partner and spouse is still the same. It, it's still the, the struggle that you have to come to terms with. And how do you cope with this new element in your life? Mm. Um, and that feeling of powerlessness, I, I do remember how, yes, the idea that it could be different, that possibility was just the, the best thing. Well, and ever. what's, what's so amazing about your story and mine is that, that immediate switch. Now, like I'd say mine yes. happened over a little more like a week because I was, for me, I was like listening and being like, nothing's going to work. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, I feel so much better. Like it caught me by surprise after about a week of like listening to her every day that I was like, wait a minute, nothing changed, but I don't feel like I weigh a million pounds. I feel like possibility. I feel light. I've, you know, anyway, but, but I just love that part of your story where you described you're like asleep in the car and your husband's life is changing. Like in two hours, he was like, you have got to listen to this. And I think a big part of that is, you know, you're both in that place of desperation headed into this phase two. Right. And that you were both open to like, something's got to help. Like, what will it be? And you could just receive it in that moment. I think there's a big aspect to what we teach of like a, an openness and a willingness and, and ready to like believe and work and change. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Open. Yes. And again, fueled by desperation. I, you know, mm -hmm. for, in both of our cases, it, it was, you knew, we knew that we wanted something to be different. Yeah. And, you know, he was probably more on board before me. Cause I remember I was listening to some book on tape and he's like, oh, this is way better than that. Whatever it is, it's way better than that. <laughs> Whatever and you're listening to. He was just immediately <laughs> yes. oh, has a way with, oh, yes. So great. Yes. Yep. And, and it did become our, you know, shared language too, which was nice. I mean, it, yeah. it, again, this, the events in life are still hard, but at least now we had a a way to look at them that didn't feel so that was empowering. And we, we were, we started to learn where we did have control. And before that yeah. was very fuzzy, it, oh, especially yes. I'm sure for Dave, I'm sure so much of how he felt 
was this disease has come in and just taken over his body and he didn't have control in a lot of areas, but even then you still have control over a lot, but it's hard to isolate and really like intentionally focus on it because it is all a little fuzzy and cloudy because you're in survival mode and you're fighting cancer and you're, I can't even imagine. Yes, totally. So when you learn about these things, you get, when you learn about the model and you learn about mind management, you get a framework and you get, um, and it's a consistent framework. That's one of my favorite things. Anytime I've ever kind of studied in other self-help areas, it's like, sometimes we do this and sometimes we do this. And what we teach is it's the model every time. (laughs) It's the model every time. And I love that, but you get a framework. And then between the two of you, you also, like you said, had that, that shared language that you could start to express yourself in words that you could each understand it. It gives you this new, these new tools and this new language to access your mind, access, you know, your, what's in your control and even share the terrible parts more effectively and intentionally. And, and I just, I'm so, so glad that you guys found that. Oh, I know I I am too. Yeah. Yes. Life-changing. It is. It's life-changing. And it's funny because at the time you don't know you know, you don't, I always say this too, like none of us know where our journey is going to go. You know, again, you would have probably never guessed five years ago that you know life coaching. Not only and did just, my deployment year not go as terribly as I was sure it would. I started my coaching business while he was gone. Like I had that much lift to me and that much possibility that I was like, Hey, I'll just start a business. <laughs> like not only was my head not down, but I was like, I could do anything. Like it was crazy. <laughs> I know. And I love that. I love, this is one of the, the, like the things I believe in the most. And I think both of us, both of our clients and both of us, when you have those experiences that are so hard, it is the time where that is where your possibility for, for change is almost at its greatest because, because I think there is this need, like, okay, how am I going to handle this? There's like an awareness that this is really hard. And I, especially if you've done it before, but that that's an, it's an opportunity, like no other that we get in life. You know, like you said before, you were barely surviving. I mean, and, and the, by the next time you were literally starting a business, which is one of the hardest things you can do with six children yeah. and two babies and traveling I mean, and just people must've thought you were insane, you know, <laughs> and yet you, the possibility because you were up against the rock, you know, or a wall created that for you. And I, I feel that way about my clients. Like, yeah, this is probably one of the hardest things you're going to go through in life, but because of that is also the, one of the greatest opportunities to discover what's most important to connect with your partner in a way that you probably never have before, um, to learn about yourself more, Mm -hmm. you know, to really feel strong and resilient, not just pretend on the outside, which is my client tends to like kind of fake it for their, for their spouse, you know, because they don't know how to deal with what's going on inside. So that that's an opportunity to really, you know, discover those things in yourself that you probably wouldn't consider if you weren't in a challenging situation, you know, and and amazing to find those golden opportunities. It's just such a 180 from when you're, when you don't believe those opportunities are there and you're in that survival mode to, to turn it all the way around to like some of the most amazing 
opportunities are available to you in that hardest of times, like hardest of times. That's, yeah. that's mind blowing. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Yes. Oh, so yeah. cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, one little, one last note I wanted to make here was, I think it's so awesome that you were able to go and work with Krista, who's the life coach and her niche is widows. She had lost her husband and that, that led her down that path. Um, and I think sometimes when you're, when the, when you're kind of out of the life coaching world, looking in, I think it can feel a little curious to you of like, why do these life coaches go so specific? Like she works with widows. You work with people who are caregivers to cancer patients. I work with women whose husbands are deployed. Like we get so specific, but the way that Krista was able to reach you in that moment, the way you reach your clients who are going through what they're going through, the way I reach my clients who are going through what they're going through based on that specific niche and the specific experiences we've all had the, the reaching of them in that place is so deep and so powerful. And I just loved when you mentioned that part of your story, because I think that's an, a curious concept. Some people of like, why wouldn't they just like coach anyone who wants help? But we go right for the people that we can help at that deep level, because we know what it feels like to go through what they've gone through. And so I'm just so thrilled that Krista had been that for you. And then now you're able to be that for for your clients. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's understanding the pain as it applies to that very specific situation um, that because the tools, you know, that you and I use are the same basically, but how they apply and sometimes what tools you emphasize are a little bit, you, you can kind of cater them to the particular challenge of Mm -hmm. again, being, being a partner of someone who has cancer. And I specifically focus on partners, like the spouse generally, I say partners, but, um, you know, generally the spouse, not just all caregivers, because a lot of people are caregivers for like elderly parents, um, or, you know, a sick sibling or something, but there is also a uniqueness when it is your, your partner, you you know, where you have this equal relationship that all of a sudden basically overnight can change to, it's no longer equal in the way that it was before. And now they're really struggling and you're trying to figure out to readjust. So that's a unique aspect of just caregiving even, not to say that, you know, other caregivers have different challenges, but it is different when that relationship is with, uh, you know, your elderly parents or an aunt, or, you know, it's just a different dynamic. Um, so I, I focus on the spouse because that was, is my experience. And, um, I think there's relationship challenges that, that come along with that, you know, when it's similar to how I don't, I don't work with like parents of soldiers, even though I I could help them. I love them too. (laughs) And I also, I don't work with the stay at home husbands, like the home front husbands. I work with home front wives because I just don't believe that I'm the best fit for them. I know I can help the wives in such a more in, in that way, you know, and, and one point I was going to make here for me, I think one of the powerful things of the specific niche and the specific, like, this is who I work with is our brain is so good at protesting. Right. And so for me, when I was listening to Jody Moore, and I, I wonder if it was similar for you when you're listening to Brooke Castillo, your brain is throwing up these little protests of like, but she doesn't know what it feels like to go through a deployment. Like I'm loving what she's saying. I'm feeling better, but my brain is still protesting of like, yeah, she can say that. Cause she doesn't know what this feels like. 
So I love knowing that when I'm working with my clients, that their brain can't throw up that protest. Like there will be other protests, but like we want to, we want to decrease the protest. So it's not so hard to like work together and make progress. And our brain is just fantastic at, at finding those little protests. So I just love that. I know that my clients, like their brain won't, won't throw that up. It can't, you know? Yeah. 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 There's a huge knowing that someone has been there, I think is powerful, you know, and you see them again. I think that's why group coaching can be really beneficial because you see people at different levels of the same journey, basically the same journey. And some people are start just at the beginning. Some people are more at the end. Um, and that is really helpful to see, you know, people at different stages and that's what we are, right. People at different, you know, we have been through this experience and now have learned and have the benefit of hindsight and all the things we've learned in coaching and, and yet can still really connect to, to the pain, you know, and the difficulty of wherever our client is. Yeah. We've touched on this already, but I really want to get into how you work with your clients on opening up to the, the negative of it as well. Like the relief that comes from finding empowering thoughts and positive thoughts, but then there's this second awesome layer of relief that comes from learning to feel terrible without the resistance, without acting it out. Like that, that anger you were in that you described was, was resistance and acting, you know, it wasn't you, but it was you trying to cope with the negative emotions rather than open up to them and experience them. And, and just, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I loved your last podcast episode. It's okay. Um, because I think this is, I talk about this a lot. Part of the reason why is a lot of the emotions that I experienced, um, and my clients are experiencing are really intense. It's usually grief, anger, and fear. One of those tends to predominate, um, because they're coping with, you know, looking at, they could possibly lose their partner, like this whole new possibility. And those emotions are so intense that you can't easily change your thoughts around them. So the first, the first thing I always talk about is just let yourself feel it first, because we don't want to, like, it's Mm. so the first thing we want to do because it is so uncomfortable to feel scared or to feel angry. And this was my own experience, right? I didn't want to be angry. I was angry, but I didn't want to be angry. So I would just resist it. And the first thing, of course, Krista coached me on was just letting myself be angry, just stop resisting it. And I I say it's like magic because I really feel it is like magic. The minute I stop just trying to not be angry, I stop being angry. (laughs) I, I let, I just kind of allowed the feeling. And that's the way I like to think of it is when we, we allow it, we give ourselves permission. We no longer are at the mercy of it. We're in control then because we are giving ourselves permission to feel angry or feel sad or just feel bad, you know, or feel grief. And when you, when you switch over to being kind of trying to push that feeling away to giving yourself permission to feel it, all of that resistance, which has intensified the feeling that you didn't realize is goes away. And therefore the feeling that is left is often a lot less. Yes. And it's still like you, you said it so well in your, your podcast episode, like it's still hard yeah. and it's not like you feel great, but you feel so much less bad <laughs> than yeah. you did before. And there is this, it, it is lightning, like a lifting somehow of, mm-hmm. um, 
how you feel. I think when, when we are in those motions, it feels so heavy. And the, the minute you can stop, you can allow that feeling. It feels lighter and, and allowing doesn't necessarily mean acting out. doesn't mean breaking down and sobbing or yelling at people. Like if you're giving into your anger, but it just means, you know, sitting with the, the feeling and, you know, trying to see how does this feel in my body, but that, um, even just telling yourself like the sentence that I'm going to allow this sadness and it's okay. And I can still go about my day, you know, and that alone is just huge. Um, so I think it's such, I think it's such a powerful skill to let ourselves feel bad. It's not, it is not easy though. It's definitely a hard, it's, I think it's counterintuitive for one. Um, what's so fascinating is that we don't realize that our current experience of anger or is the often is the fighting of it. And that's why we associate it with being such a terrible experience. And we don't even realize how much we've practiced doing it that way. And that's why experiencing it does feel so hard at first, but it's just because we don't have practice doing it the way where we just make space for it and make room for it. But when we start doing it that way, first of all, we experience that immediate reward of it not being such a terrible experience while we're still angry. We're still in pain. We're still sad. We're still grieving. but decreasing the intensity is that really awesome immediate reward that can fuel you continuing to practice this way. But what you have to do is just get over that. It will feel harder at first because you're so good at the other way when you didn't even realize you were practicing the other way. So if you can get over that and just continue to go in the, in the path of the allowing that's you practicing it and getting that skill and increasing that skill and it will become the go-to and it won't be so much work over time. Yes. Yes. And I know, um, a lot of, a lot of times you can feel like if you've been practicing resisting, even though not realizing it, sometimes that emotion can feel so big that you're afraid if you let it in. And this, I think is especially with grief and sadness, it feels like you'll drown. Yes. Like you'll never open up up to it. And that is one of the things that I think for, for my clients in particular, because a lot of times they've been holding back, they've been trying not to feel sad or they've been, and it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And they feel like if I open up to this, I won't ever come out. I'll fall into a deep pit and I'll never come out. That's what it it will consume me. And I have to reassure them, you know, emotions do, do go through you. They can take, it can take a while but they do go through. You don't stay in them forever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can feel like that. So it can be scary to, yeah. w- to open up. And, it, and it's again, because we've just practiced no. so many times, not, you know, holding back. Um, and that, I, that I think I really learned in Krista's program because I had, because grief was such a strong emotion yeah that I, I felt like I had to learn how to actually allow my emotions. That took me, I really didn't learn it until, until Dave passed away, you know? So I, even though that was something we learned early on, you know, we learned it as part of our coaching certification and, and all of that, but I never really understood it <laughs> until like I was really, yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and you end up like exhausting yourself, trying to keep it at bay. Yes. And I think that another thing that we really don't have an understanding of until we start to do this work is mental exhaustion. Like we understand what it feels like when our body is physically exhausted. But what I think so many people are struggling with these days is they're, they're beyond mentally exhausted because of things that they're doing, like 
keeping their fear at bay, keeping their grief at bay, you know, fighting, resisting, all these things bring so much mental exhaustion. And they just think no matter how much sleep I get, I'm still tired. No matter how much, like I still am miserable and they don't understand. They're not treating the mental exhaustion. They're still kind of like trying to treat physical exhaustion because they do feel tired. And that's something I love helping my clients with because they feel like they've got nothing left to give. They feel mentally exhausted, but then when they, like, even if they get good sleep, they're still tired and they think there's like, so this is just me now. And they're so like hopeless in that place. And I think that's when you describe that, that way you, you, you experienced it. And you see like your clients of just holding it back, holding it back. Like I'm just, I'm envisioning the mental arms, you know, like holding back that wave of what they worry will consume them and just knowing how, what mental exhaustion that brings on. Yeah. And that, and it makes sense that we look to our situation and we Mm -hmm. think when this changes, then I'll be able to feel better. Yeah you know, and yet in a deployment or with a, a, you know, a serious illness, Mm. you know, you can't change that situation. So you think, okay, I just got to wait it out or get through this Mm -hmm. without recognizing that. Yes. Your experience of it can be different once you learning how to change your mindset essentially, and how to allow those emotions. Mm. But yeah, it feels, and that's where that powerlessness comes from because you look to like, I can't, change when they're going to get back. So there's, it seems like there's nothing I can do. That's the biggest, right. The only thing that'd make me feel better is if he wasn't deploying or he wasn't sick and that can't change. So here's, here's what's left. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so one thing that my clients struggle with that I wanted to find out from you, if, if this is something that you experience is, you know, they want to be brave and strong. And like you had mentioned, they kind of put on a, a face of it for their partner, for, you know, for people in life, they, they feel like I, I sh- I'm supposed to be strong. So I'll just like pretend to be strong. Um, how do, how do you experience that? How did you experience that? And how do your clients experience that pretending to be strong? Yeah. I, I think that comes up very commonly because, um, they, you want to be encouraging. You don't want to be the downer. And, and a lot of times, um, for their often adult children, young children, you know, I think we, I mean, it, it can really vary by age, but often for their adult children too, a lot of my clients want to be able to be strong for their kids and supportive for their kids and their partner, but yet inside there, they feel like they're falling apart and they can't handle it. Right. Um, but really what I tell people is like, first of all, we pick up on a lot more than what we say, you know, we all yeah. pick up on, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. And so don't think you're fooling anybody because a lot of times you're not, but also when you, I think it's twofold in order to be, to actually feel strong and not just pretend or to kind of fake it on the outside, you have to address your own fears and worries separately. Mm -hmm. And in, in my case, like, you know, yeah, yeah, of course I don't want you to go to your partner and dump all your fears and worries on them because they've got their own. Right. And they don't want to do that. But I think that's what they're afraid of doing. They're afraid, like, I don't want to take all my troubles to him or her, but, uh, but that still means you, you are going to have them, right. You're having your own fears and worries. So you need to be able to work through those. And when you do even just, I mean, one of the tools that I teach that is the simplest is the thought download and a way to get all your fears and worries out of your head yes. because you're just ruminating on them. And even just that alone, kind of clearing them out will allow you to then go and be with your partner and actually 
feel more stable and strong. Um, and then sometimes it's okay to show that this is hard for you, you know, mm -hmm. especially with our children and our adult children. And, and a lot of times, like when we communicate that, when we show them that I am struggling here and it's okay, you yes. know, like it's okay to struggle and it's okay to feel sad. We're communicating that emotions aren't a problem. Yeah. They're and okay to have. Don't make us weak. Yeah. Right? Like hiding them is kind of sending that message, you know, maybe more to young kids, but that this is how you be strong. You don't show emotion. Yes. And they're over there feeling a lot of things, you know, and like, and then trying not to like, show it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We kind of inadvertently in an effort to protect, mm -hmm. um, often our children, we inadvertently communicate that it's, it's not okay to feel, you know, and we, instead of what I like to, to try to emphasize is that instead you can be the model that is okay. These are just emotions. We feel them yes. and you can, it doesn't mean you're not strong. In fact, it's the opposite. You have the courage to allow yourself to feel, and then you can, you can get through that, you know, allowing yourself to feel. So um, I talked to I my clients about how much courage it takes to, to express emotion, to ask for help. We, we think that we're being weak when we ask for help or cry or something, but actually there's so much bravery involved when it's, I'm going to let you see my vulnerability let you see like, you know, maybe just your children or a close friend, not necessarily the world or just whatever you're comfortable with, but to, to be vulnerable really takes so much strength and, and bravery. And I tell my clients, like you're, when you are having an emotional day, your brain's first thing is going to say, go in your room and cry. Don't let your kids see you be sad. But I tell them that the opposite is what your kids actually need. They, they need to see your emotion. They need to see when, when your child comes up to you and says, I miss dad, our, our brain's first little offering is like, talk, like talk them out of that. Like comfort them, get them back to happy. But I tell my clients, tell them you miss dad too. Like get sad with them. Like that's what your kids need is for you to get sad with them. And instead of lying to them of like, it's okay, he'll be home soon. And like, try to, you know, talk them out of their negative emotions. Instead, I say, just tell your kids, like, let's just be sad today. Let's cry if we need to. We don't always need to cry. Let's take, you know, do this, take this, like, let's just be sad today. And that, that does not, that's not your initial reaction. Your initial reaction is to hide and put on a brave face, which is again, that false sense of, of brave. So it, it really is. And I think that teaches then that emotions aren't problems. Yeah. They're just part of, you know, what it is to live in this type of circumstance. And that's so powerful. That is so powerful because that is not the message that we all we're taught as right. children, you know, we basically were taught that if you feel bad, you need to do whatever it takes to feel better right away. Yeah, Food get is usually better. involved or you know, some distraction. <laughs> yes. So it is, yeah, it's, it's like teaching a new generation and about emotional, you know, really expanding their emotional intelligence and capacity to feel. Yes. I just, I, I love that. That's so good. Well, it's like we talked about near the beginning, how our brain is good at finding things to use against ourselves. Like we were talking about, uh, you know, the soul, the solo parenting, we could use that against ourselves or like, sorry, the temporariness and the permanence we were talking about at the beginning, what I've worked with my brain to do. And what I work with my clients is to 
identify what, what you're feeling and the way your brain is trying to like use it against you, whatever. And typically the solution isn't to just like tell your brain to stop. It's to make space for all of the feelings. So like, for example, when I am using the temporariness of my husband's, um, of my solo parenting of him being away, sometimes it's a comfort to me where I'm like, he's coming home and that, and it feels like a true comfort. And then sometimes I use it against myself, like I said, and I'm trying to comfort myself, but it's not working. Like at least he's coming home at least he's, but instead what I need to do in that moment is just make space for missing him, make space for how hard my current experience is. And I can say, I can simultaneously, this was a very new concept for me at the time, but I can simultaneously be grateful that my scenario is temporary and be so grateful that like my husband has a good job and he's making money and that he loves me. And, you know, there could be so many reasons why he's away that would not be those things. Right. And simultaneously feel scared, worried, tired, overwhelmed, pain in pain. Like I can feel both things at the same time where I think that our, when we don't have that skill practiced of that simultaneous, those simultaneous experiences, that's when we try to just talk ourselves out of what we're feeling. We try to get from sad back to happy as fast as we can. Cause we just sort of think there's only space for one kind of feeling or one kind of experience. But I love to help my clients open up to that simultaneous experience. Cause so much of life is that is I feel grateful and sad right at the same time. <laughs> like, so let's make space for it. <laughs> Yeah. I love, I love that. I love thinking. I I think it was new for me too, to realize that you can feel two things at the same time, two two seemingly contradictory things, you know? And I like to have, I'd like at certain times to have a mantra, you know, like this is hard and I'm getting through it. It's like, you know, acknowledging that I'm overwhelmed and I know it's temporary or I'll get through it. You know, kind of, there is a duality. There is always both. And and like you said, we often tend to think that it's just one or the other, or if I'm sad, I need to get back to happy. And you can, you can have both at the same time. I, and I, I love thinking about it that way. And our, Um, our brain is totally capable when we feel like there's only one experience available to us. I've learned that it just means that in that moment, I'm not managing my mind. It means I'm letting my, my mind manage things. And it's saying, I only have room for one. So, you know, like we got to go one or the other where I just gently work with it to say, actually, there's room for both. Like, let's just do both. And then it's like, okay, I talk to my brain, like it's separate from me. (laughs) I know it's, (laughs) but I have this little, I don't know. I have conversations with myself all the time where it's like, I'm coaxing my brain and talking to it. Like it's this separate entity, but I know it's just me. (laughs) Well, it is, it is like a separate part of you, right? It's like, it's like, you know, I know there's some coaching practices that, you know, there's certain aspects of our personality. Actually in Krista's program, we talked about um, the perfectionist, you know, not everybody has a perfectionist, but like the, the part of ourselves that's really hard on our, on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we gave it a name. And for me, it was like this um, gymnastics teacher who was like like super strict, demanding perfection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So it is, it is the part of you that's like, you know, has certain traits that, you know, and I love, I think when we think about it as like the separate entity, it it also contains it a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, it's not, it's not, doesn't have to take me over because it's just a separate entity. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of power in that. Definitely. It's not me. It's just what my brain is offering me. Like it, it does give you that separation, which I think is nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, this has been fantastic, Marika. I have just loved getting to know you even more, having you on the podcast today to share all of this good stuff with my listeners. I know they're going to have so many great takeaways from our conversation today. I want you to share with us how people can find you if they are in anyone listening or they can share it with people who they know they have this kind of stuff going on for them. How do, how would people find you? Yeah. So the best place uh, to find me is on my website. It's coach Marika. So www.coachmarika.com and it's M-A-R-I-K-A. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook at, at coach Marika. So both places are good. Um, on my website, I do have several blogs that I write uh, a couple times a month that talk about a lot of topics relevant to people caring for a partner with, with cancer or any serious diagnosis. Um, and you can always, um, get on my mailing list there too, from my, from my website or sign up for, and, you know, a, a consultation where we meet and talk about, you know, what you're struggling with. So yeah, my website, um, coachmarika.com or my Facebook page. Wonderful. Thank you. And I will link all that information on the show notes of this podcast episode on my website as well. So that will be easy. Sometimes people are like listening to this in their, car and they can't like write that down in the moment or they might not remember later, but just know you guys can get that information uh, on my website as well. And I wanted to point out something that Marika just mentioned about the blog post she has on her website. The, if that, that is such a great place to start. If you want to get to know Marika more and what she has to offer, it's, it's similar to the podcast. It's just the written word. Right. And like, just to kind of dip into those blog posts and like that can be that same experience for you to start feeling some shifts just by reading some of that content she has to offer there. So I would highly recommend that if you've, if you have uh, piqued your interest in listening to Marika today, or I know that like a lot of my listeners might not be dealing with serious, serious diagnoses, but they may have people in their life who are. And so word of mouth is, is such a fantastic way to spread the word and spread this work and spread, especially people, as we, you know, we go right in for that niche, that very specific niche. And we need, we need help getting in front of the people who could most benefit from what we have to offer. So that's one reason why I love doing these podcast interviews. And I love going on other people's podcasts. My most recent client came to me from an interview I did on someone else's podcast and it's just such a cool, it's just such a cool way to spread the word. So thank you again so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. This has been fantastic. Jesse, we could, I feel like we could talk for hours, which, which, <laughs> which, which we, we have. Actually, <laughs> I, we have actually, yes, we could probably talk for several more. Well, Definitely. thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. I hope that you enjoyed getting to know Marika as much as I did. She is a fantastic person and a fantastic coach and definitely uh, go check her out if that is a, an applicable area for you. And that is what I have for you today. Are you ready to take what you are learning here on this podcast to the next level? Then let's work together. I would be honored to be your life coach and help you create the life you dream about by focusing on what is always in your control, your mindset. Are you ready for everything in your life to feel different and better without needing to change any of your circumstances? Then schedule a free call with me by going to my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.